There are some who call me... Tim? The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Yes, as the music plays, it's time once again for The Outer Edge with Mike Mott and Tim Swartz. I'm Tim Swartz, and Mike Mott is out there in cyberspace somewhere. Let's see if we can bring him in. Mike, hello, are you there? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Ah, he's there! I'm here. Uh, Oh, great. How are you, man? Uh, No, not too bad, not too bad here in the... uh, uh, the Outer Edge Studios, uh, deep underground, high in the air. We're not telling. Yes. Who knows? <laughs> I know, uh, you know Michael Hanks' uh, show. I don't know. I don't know if he still does this or not. But he always, uh, they always used to say, you know, they were uh, deep in their uh, their They're secret. Bunker underground bunker miles below the surface of the earth fighting <laughs> off uh, fighting off deros and other uh, <laughs> underground dwellers yeah mike so, is a good guy i like mike a lot so we um, can't we 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 can't we, we can't say that thing so we need to have maybe, mike back on our show yeah we really should you know i i always enjoy having him on the show i mean if there, if, if there is anybody out there who is as well spoken as Micah is right uh, about about these subjects and, and just well spoken in general he always yes. amaze he always amazes me how he is. he's, he's uh, extremely articulate and very much intelli- so. intelligent well informed uh, thoughtful in his answers yeah we ought to have him mm-hmm. back on sometime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean there's when he talks, there is nary an um or an ah or a you know. I have a bad habit of doing that as I talk. It's, it's just because yeah, I, we all do my, that though. Well, my my brain has a tendency to either work faster than my mouth does, or maybe it's slower than my mouth does. That's what my wife says. Because <laughs> 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 a lot of times, when I'm trying to. Uh, uh, Speak an articulate sentence. It takes me a while to formulate what I'm going to say. So then I have a tendency to talk slowly, and it just drives her crazy. You know, she wants to start finishing my sentences, and then that person right. that that messes me up. And she and knows I, you well enough to do it. Oh yeah. Oh, of course she does. Yeah, <laughs> she does. I don't. I, I don't anymore. I don't even have to talk. All I have to do is just. Uh, Think really hard, and she'll respond. Wow, that's awesome, man! Because I was married twice, and neither one of them could finish my sentences. <laughs> they had absolutely no clue at all. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, were uh, were you were you thinking of things that uh, were uh, proper to say uh, out loud? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'd usually say those, but uh, the ones you're talking about. But yeah, um, yeah, mm-hmm. things I guess that were just you know 
not in their realm of, of interest <laughs> or uh, uh, comprehension, maybe. Um, well, I've been, you know, I have, I've been able to do that with uh, uh, not only my wife, but with uh, some other good friends. Just have the ability to, uh, you know, like I'll be thinking about them, and all of a sudden they'll call me on the phone, or or send me right. a text, or um, there'll be something that I'll discover that is really interesting that I found, you know, like in some obscure place, and then the next thing I know, you know, somebody is is texting me saying, "Hey, have you seen such and such?" And it's it's the exact same thing, yeah. You know, that I had just been uh, thinking about. So, I mean, I, uh, that occurs to me quite often, actually. Yeah, yeah, I have friends like that, too. And those are the people that you need to stay in touch with. You know, those are the people that there's something there. There's some sort of a connection. So, yeah, <laughs> something deeper than just, you know, the superficial stuff. I would think so. Yeah. You know, I'd, hope so I'd hope so, at least. So, Mike, um, have you seen... Uh, live, do you ever, do you ever go to the live science website, uh, live science sometimes, but I haven't been there lately. They, they have a great article I ran across today, uh, and it's entitled Six Questions with the Man Who Had Sex on the Moon. Now, the, the title's a little misleading, but it, it actually is about a, a, a guy by the name of, I think it's, I think it's pronounced Thad, T-H-A-D, Thad Roberts. And in 2002, he was a 25-year-old intern at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. And um, he decided that um, he was going to promise his girlfriend a, uh, a, a, a trip on the moon. Not, not a trip to the moon, but a trip on the moon. So he proceeded to, uh, to steal about 17 pounds of moon rocks. So that the two of them could have uh, sex on those. Uh, now, first of all, I think that uh, that would be extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> and second of all, how in the world could somebody steal 17 pounds of moon rock from the Johnson Space Center? I mean, you know, th those things are, you know, the moon rocks, I mean, they're more valuable than anything else on, uh, you know, on the Earth, Earth pretty planet. much. Yeah, 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 yeah. they're extremely valuable. You know, it, they, and that reminds you, you know, years ago somebody had had stolen some and was trying to sell them. So it's not like it hasn't happened before. You would think that some sort of security measure would be in in place, but maybe it was a conspiracy. Perhaps <laughs> NASA scientists wanted to see the effects of. Human reproductive fluids upon moon rocks. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds uh, um, that sounds really disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Was he trying to sell them? He was trying to sell you, as you say, used ones. Rocks he had had sex upon. He was trying to sell them all, all, somehow on the internet. Yes, yes, and that's how he got caught. I guess that um, nobody at the Johnson Space Center had any idea what was going on until he tried to sell them, and then it got back to them that hey, you know, somebody is uh, is trying to sell moon rocks uh, on, on the internet, and so and then I guess they went and checked and and saw that um, they were missing quite a bit, and so he he ended up getting arrested and uh, spent. I think, gosh, what was it, like 17, uh, maybe 17 months or something like that. No, uh, he was in prison for 100 months. Well, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, well, you I'm know. I'm trying real hard to watch what I say here because this is so <laughs> for commentary. 
<laughs> hey, you know, I mean, we're uh, uh, it's 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 after midnight. Yeah, you know, that's true. We can, that's true. Uh, it's uh, we we can go we can go we can go blue. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, this guy basically. Uh, um, <laughs> I was I just by my tongue. <laughs> no, go ahead. I want to I want to hear what you have to say. Now, all I know is that uh, you know if you're going to be an intern for NASA and you're supposed to have like really high intelligence, this was not a very smart thing to do. And then, first of all, taking the rocks was pretty stupid. And then trying to sell them of all places on the internet, mm-hmm. which is obviously totally monitored and and so forth. That's pretty stupid. And then if they realize they're gone, where's the first place they're going to go do searches and look for the stolen merchandise? <laughs> they're going to go to the Internet. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty dumb. And, and yeah. you know, um, yeah, that's all I'll say. I, I well, I mean, more blue areas. you know, well, as as for like, you know, uh, book smart, this guy was not stupid. I mean, he exactly. has an undergraduate degree in astro- astrophysics. You know, uh, but but obviously, yeah, for the real world, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah he, he he. I guess he just didn't quite uh, think things through, except well, for just, you know yeah, the immediate. I, I guess, you know, now he knows what they mean by love on the rocks. <laughs> love on the rocks. Yeah. Get uh, get my lounge singer voice out here. Ain't no surprise. <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, uh, his story ha- is uh, chronicled in a new book by uh, Ben uh, uh, Mesrich, Mesrich, maybe is how you pronounce it, and it's called uh, uh, Sex on the Moon. So, it, uh, it's... it's um, Sex cr- on the Moon. Sex on the Moon. So I guess the it's, moon. Uh, I guess it's out now, so if anybody wants to read about uh, um, this guy's amazing experience... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty you, amazing, man. And you know, you can. Uh, um, I wonder if you achieved liftoff. Mm, uh, but up, but. <laughs> well, you know that just goes to show you, though, because I mean, I have read. Uh, gosh, it was it was what a couple of years ago that I guess NASA started trying to compile. Uh, their collection of of moon rocks because uh, after the Apollo space missions were over, some of them were given to um, foreign dignitaries, right, and uh, uh, other you know uh, uh, supposedly I, I I guess universities or things like that. So they wanted to. They wanted to get a list of just uh, uh, what was around and what wasn't. Some of these moon rocks that they actually got back um, uh, from some of these other countries turned out not to be moon rocks. That they were fakes, yeah. And uh, I don't know if they ever figured out whether or not the... They were, you know, fake right from the very beginning that, you know, somebody was just like, yeah, well, you know, we're not going to give Saudi Arabia or what have you, <laughs> you know, some actual moon rocks. You know, yeah. we'll just go out, we'll just go out in the driveway and give them some limestone <laughs> or whether or not after these countries um, and places got these rocks, whether or not they sold them. You know, under the uh, uh, under. Right. The, well, if it uh, went to certain parts of the world, they probably ground them up, put them into potency potions or something. <laughs> oh, no. uh, I don't know about that. 
Well, you know, I mean, that's what happens when there's a whole segment of the world population that actually worships a chunk of rock that fell from the sky. So, you know. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we've uh, we've seen that at various places th- throughout history. I mean, yep. not just uh, uh, not just the rock in Mecca. <laughs> <laughs> you named it. I oh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say it. You know, I know. I, you know, I, it, I know it's, it. It, that, that, that particular religion claims to not be. I, everybody else is an idolater, but them. But they worship a. a a freaking meteorite, okay? And then they have it housed in this big receptacle that looks like a vagina. So, you know, you have to wonder a little bit. But uh, everybody, I digress. Everybody worships idols. You know, I don't care what religion you are. That's right. And, 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 whether, and whether or not, you know, you have rules about, you know, not worshiping idols. I mean, you know, everybody. I mean, it's just, I think it's human nature. So I mean I I it's 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 one of these things it's like um why you would make laws you know uh you know because I I I'm, I'm, well, I'm but, sorry uh, but I I, I would think I would think that the good lord but, is pr- in a way go, we're go ahead, talk, topic but in a way we're not and I'll tell you why No not really for, not really for, for, first of all this, this you know uh speaking specific, specifically of, of Islam they you know they have this extreme phobia not call it a phobia of depictions of their prophet because he he supposedly said don't make pictures of me so that nobody will worship them mm-hmm. but their phobia is of such an extent that it has turned him into an idol mm. oh yeah yeah like, like if if you portray him you're somehow violating an idolatrous belief about the guy okay on top of that when you like, for instance, if you're if you're familiar with the so-called satanic verses, verses, and not just Rusty's book of the same title, mm-hmm. um, you'll know that that Muhammad, the, the 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 god of his tribe, the Quraysh, was the moon god Alilia, mm. you know, the, the, the shining one. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. And, you and, and you know what you know the direction I was heading to there. Yeah. Yeah. There were 360 Arabian gods. And they had 360 days in their year, and they had 360 gods, and his patron god was the one called Alilia or Allah. And he had this vision and this revelation, you know, where he supposedly was visited by the angel Jabril, which is Gabriel, and all this stuff. But it was so frightening, and of course it took place in a cave, mm-hmm. and it was so frightening that he fled into the desert and had some sort of shocking revelation when he came face to face with the moon. Um, some sort of transmission of information from this huge moon. It terrified him so badly that he thought that it wasn't really an angel, that it was a devil. He mm. went home. He told his very conniving older wife about this revelation and how he thought it was the devil, it was the jinn, it was the ifrits, all this kind of stuff. And they were trying to trick him into doing evil and stuff. And she assured him, "Oh no, no, no! Wait, well, no, no. That was that was that was that was the moon god." That was our moon god talking to you. So then he became fervent in his zeal to convert everybody else. You know, and of course you know the rest of the story how he basically murdered all the other Arab tribes that would not convert and the Jewish tribes in the area who would not convert. And he went to the Kaaba where all the idols were stored and he destroyed all of the idols except for the one of the moon god, which was a rock that fell out of the sky. So when you look at Islamic flags today, what do you see on every Islamic flag of every Islamic country? Oh, sure. A crescent yep. moon. Yeah. The moon. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and so, you know, 
then the guy was super obsessed with sex. I mean, just to like a disgusting extent. Um, you know, and he even had special rules for when you can and can't have sex with animals and, and children and everything else and take slaves and have sex with them and steal men's wives and daughters and have sex with them. I mean, the guy, you know, so I guess the first guy to really kind of make a statement with a moon rock and sex was Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Which you know that, and that's see, that's that's kind of the point that I I, I was getting to with this, <laughs> and whether whether or not you know, like uh, like Thad Roberts, whether or not these missing moon rocks have been used in similar uh, capacities, but m- maybe more along the lines of like uh, a, a mystical or magical. Um, uh, a situation, you know, people people taking these because of the belief, you know, because you know, uh, se- human sexuality and the moon have been intertwined for yes, uh, they have for for and, and for you can bet millennia. That even in the lab, you know that all kinds of experiments were done on these rocks. They probably oh, sure. did try to grow things in them, you know, mix mix them with other compounds to see, you know, what effect it would have on plant life, stuff like that. So I'm sure that that all kinds of stuff was done. Before his rather amateurish uh, experiments were conducted, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but once, <laughs> w- but once, once again, though, I mean, uh, back to the back to the idea that you know what kind of security did the uh, did NASA have that you know seventeen pounds of moon rocks were able to go missing, and what else? What else has gone missing? Because I mean, you know, I mean, you you remember um, when they were trying to find the original video recordings of the moon landing? Uh, well, you know what? I have to wonder. You know, this this gets you thinking about movies like uh, uh, Species. Remember? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go steal a rock from another planetary body and just take it out and have sex on it. You know, and then later this guy's got cocoons with bodies in them slammed up inside the roof of his or the ceiling of his basement, you know. Well, you think about um Nick Redfern's book. Um gosh now, now the name slips me you know the one where uh he looked closely into that uh, that Pentagon group that yeah, eventually the, uh, book. Uh, yes yeah yeah that's it that's it and you know you have uh, people like uh, Jack Parsons or Alistair Crawley I mean what uh, what do you think that they would have done if they had been able to get a hold of um you know moon rocks actual moon rocks and you know they're not around, but I mean, you know, uh, some of the more uh, uh, modern necromancers uh, in yeah, high places. Right. You know, I mean, it uh, it would not surprise me that uh, things like that. I mean, you, you know, you talked about uh, legitimate experiments being done, but were there, you know, like supernatural, sure. uh, uh, you know, black magic experiments? Well, being I mean, done how do you know what this guy's real motivation was? Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. he may he may have had other motivations. What I mean, he may have. Some, you never know. People have some strange ideas, and who knows what their idea may be if they of conceiving a child on top of some moon rocks. They may have some weird, you know, belief about that. Oh yeah. Oh hey boy. You know I I see I see a book here. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. 
<laughs> you know, this uh, I'm in, I'm intrigued now. I think I think I've just started. I think I've just started the, uh, just started the uh, initial research on a new book here, Mike. So uh, okay, cool. so 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 for anybody out there who's listening, it's mine. Cop, <laughs> well, co- you, copyright 2015, Tim Schwartz. <laughs> You uh, can't copyright ideas, you know that. But it, it is a vague concept, though. I mean, you haven't really gone into the detail about exactly what your book idea is. So, I mean, yeah. this could go in like 10 different directions. So, there you go. Oh, and, and you know, the like, way I write, it probably will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the moon, you know, I mean. There you go. Which, uh, you know, I'm not knocking that at all. So, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> That's Amazon, Amazon Women on the Moon. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is. It is not uh, not one of the best of you know the uh, um, gosh. There's a, there's a, there's a term for movies like that. Uh, there there was one I remember seeing as a kid called uh, the Groove Tube. That oh you know, God, yeah, that was that was. Do you remember like, that? I, oh yeah, I saw that at the drive-in, man. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I did. I thought I thought that was. And you know, now if you'd probably watch it, you'd probably go. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why did I think that was funny? <laughs> but there were all kinds. Uh, Group Tube started it, and then there, you know, there was like uh, one called Loose Shoes and Tunnel Vision. There was another one called Do It Till You Need Glasses. Oh, I don't remember that one. And it had it was advertised as the first ever appearance of Robin Williams, and he had one scene in it where he stands up and says something kind of sort of funny, and that was it. <laughs> for like three seconds. Uh, well, that's like that's like a, a group tube. I mean, it. I think that was the first uh, movie appearance of uh, Chevy Chase. Was in the group yeah, tube. That's right. Even even before he was on Saturday Night Live. Well, so. I'm not going to go into the details, but you remember the stuff in the in the uh, in the tube. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't moon rocks. <laughs> so for for those of you out there who have no idea what we're talking about, uh google the groove tube and maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe uh maybe it's maybe it's on YouTube or someplace. Yeah. You know, I haven't I haven't seen seen that in years. Not have to go yeah, That's a great it. flick. It really yeah. is. It's really funny. Um, well, be- before we get too out of control here, I think uh, I think maybe we should uh, talk about our uh, our guest tonight. Who's uh, um, who's going to be with us tonight? Uh, We're going to have Tessa Dick back with us tonight. She's a great. Oh, guest. fantastic! Yeah, she's uh, uh, as she was once married to Philip K. Dick, a major major influence on not just fiction, science fiction, but also on society. I mean, I think a lot of his ideas that he wrote about actually um, have come to pass in one form or another. And, and she was married to him for a while, and, and she the last time she was on, she had some really interesting insights about about his life and his thoughts because, you know, I mean, he actually thought he was in communication with some sort of higher intelligence that was given him these, these ideas. Um, so uh, she's a very interesting person, very creative, and uh, just just a great guest, so I'm really looking forward to talking to her again. Oh, fantastic! I'm really happy that uh, that we're going to have her on again tonight. So, I mean, that's that that's great. I mean, I know the last time that she was on, I mean, the two hours just went like that, and yeah, there was yeah. there was still so much that I wanted to talk about with her. So, um, exactly. Now I have to try to remember what it was that 
we didn't get a chance to talk about. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead then, and uh, let's go ahead and go to our break, and when we come back, uh, we will have Tessa Dick with us right here on The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Schwartz with Mike Mott. Be sure to stay tuned. We will be right back. team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology preventative maintenance and networking support hardware and custom built computers let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget call key information solutions now 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. You just heard Bones of My Brother by... And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pronounce this right, am I, Mike? Is it Bezel? It's Bezel. Got it. Bezel. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's I because got it. I got Keith it. Oliver's band out of Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I, I didn't know that uh, you were related to them. I, you know, yeah, I, love the, I love their music. Um, yeah, like Fifth Cousin. And we just recently found out we were related, like, just like in the last year or two. Um, there's three brothers out there that actually are our grand, my great grandfather and their grandfather were brothers, I believe. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic! Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've got some great songs here in our in our list uh, uh, from them. We have "There's a Shadow," "Damage Done," "She Covers Me," "Devil's Wind," and then we just heard "Bones of My Brother." Yeah, uh, brothers. So, I mean, yeah, that's a great band, and you know, yeah, I'm, I'm always. Fight. Go ahead. I was going to say, just let's face it, uh, The Outer Edge has the coolest music, period. We really we have, do. We, we have really cutting-edge music nobody else has. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We have Bezel. We have uh, 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 Ghoul Town. Ghoul Town. I love Ghoul Bi- Town. Bias Brothers. Bias Brothers. Uh, Tribal Music Warriors. Tribal Music Warriors, which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Just a whole bunch of cool stuff. <laughs> well, but before we get too caught up in our in our music here, I want to uh, introduce everyone to our guest tonight, uh, uh, Tessa Dick. Tessa, thank you very much for uh, being uh, back with us on the Outer Edge. So so happy to have you. Well, thanks for inviting me back. It's good to know that I didn't uh, flood so badly that no one wants to hear me again. Oh no, we have we have a great time talking to you, Tessa. Last time we, it was just absolutely fascinating. We were we were sad to see it end. 
you know? It was fun. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Well, you know, we're we're big fans, obviously, of of of, of your late ex husband, you know, uh, Philip. But, so, but then again, we're also a fan of uh, your writing as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you had so. a new book coming out last time. What was the What was the title? Last time you were here, you were had a new book coming out. Oh yes, uh, a cookbook for the kitchen challenge by the kitchen challenge. And people who have read Phil's letters know that he told his mother that I was the worst cook he'd ever met. But I disagree. His cooking was even worse. Uh, that's uh yeah that's i i i i tell you something tessa that that book uh has helped me out a lot <laughs> if you would tell us about some of your other books that you have out currently well you have my some fiction personal stuff too. favorite is my novel fallen angels right in, in which a planet explodes forming the asteroid belt and the uh Survivors take refuge here on Earth. Yep, it's that's the one more, I'm, yeah. more about the people than the science, but I, I right. do kind of go over some really fringy science. I couldn't explain why the planet exploded, so I made it an act of war. Yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe they had a large hadron collider. Uh, yeah, some people claim that the Great Pyramid was a planet-busting weapon before someone took out the power supply. Yeah, you know, I just saw, gosh, what was it? There's one of these new programs on, uh, like, the, the History Channel that looked, that went into that quite a bit, you know, that uh, even uh, uh, showed how the science could be possible, that, uh, that the Great Pyramid, uh, you know, could be a power generator. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure that at the time it was built, it was right on the banks of the Nile, and they used water to float things in on barges. Well, yeah. and that that was that was uh, some of the premise of uh, the the story that I saw was that they they actually they pumped water. Into the pyramid through, um, I guess, uh, what's called the grand chamber. That you know, it really wasn't a chamber uh, for people to walk back and uh, forth in, but it was part of the whole, you know, like uh, uh, yeah, the power grand process. Gallery. Yes, yes, grand, grand gallery. gallery into the king's chamber. That would be Stephen Myers, uh, the oh, the I'm not sure the title of his book anymore, but I can get it. Um, I think it's the Great Pyramid Power Plant, something like that. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, I've uh, I've I've been in the Great Pyramid, and you know, a lot of the construction in there doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, like built to be, you know, like people friendly. Uh, you know, right. Uh, uh, to to transport. 
you know, like sarcophagus or things, you know, in and out, you know, you, uh, the, the, the grand chamber itself. I mean, it's just like, why would you have something, you know, like that, uh, you know, in, in the pyramid if, you know, of course, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm no, I'm not an archaeologist, and I'm not an engineer, so <laughs> I'm well, not going to. Among the many questions about the pyramid, the most important one is why. It's mm-hmm. obviously a, a huge project. Why did they do it? Certainly not to bury bury a dead king. No. Well, and plus, it uh, as somebody pointed, somebody pointed this out one time is that in to to make something like the Great Pyramid and 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 other you know megalithic structures, it had to have been easy for them to do it. Um, you know. Because you have, you know, you have some societies that I mean, easy for them would be to use like mud bricks. But no, I mean, these people used, you know, I guess, I, I mean, what are they, like 10, 10 ton stones to build this thing. So, I mean, it couldn't have been something that they were like, you know, wow, how are we going to do this? Well, we don't know, but we've got to start. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's pretty much a significant evidence that the, the Great Pyramid is much older than conventional uh, history would tell us, so... You know, right. so I, I I believe it actually is probably at least you know eight thousand years old. So, and even within written history, it was so polished. The outer casing of white limestone was so polished that it could be seen from hilltops in Palestine and right. Lebanon. Yeah, well, you know, it had a capstone. That was plated in gold, I believe, so at one point. Well, that's what they say. Uh, interestingly, there's a broken capstone somewhere near the Red Pyramid. Right. And archaeologists have put it together and claimed that it would fit on top of the Great Pyramid. Hmm. That's interesting. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then those who say that the people who built the pyramids were giants. Hmm. If they were even, uh, let's say, eight feet tall and proportioned like your average human today, they'd be able to lift a lot more than we can. Yeah, and you know, I do believe that there are some more conventional explanations too for the, even if they were eight feet tall, I think that, you know, they pretty much demonstrated that a lot of those rocks could be moved by sliding them over wet sand. And if they would keep the sand wet in front of the blocks, they could slide them very easily. So, you know, I'm not so much into the gravitational manipulation stuff as I am just, whoever did it was really, really smart. You know? He's playing basketball. We have eight footers today. It's not out of the question. Yeah. But yeah. wouldn't it be easier to flood the plateau and bring them in on barges? Exactly. And slide of- them across wet sand, you know. Um, yeah, and once you get them there, a lot you, of- 
There's boats buried there. They use them for something. That's right. And once you get them there, you have to, uh, obviously, you have to uh, be able to lift Lift. them and put them into place and so forth. But uh, they were querying the stones elsewhere and cutting them elsewhere ahead of time and bringing them in. So We do um, lift huge barges and oil tankers through the Panama Canal with a series of locks. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, you know, I I do say that, you know, the ancients, ancient people did things that we still cannot do today with our engineering and our technology. They cut blocks of such a size and moved them around and manipulated them and built things with them in in, in a manner that we cannot equal today. And so well, they were not they were not dumb people, you know. So I think perhaps we could do it, but we don't have a reason to do it. <laughs> I guess if we had to, we'd figure out a way, wouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, but then you have to ask why did they do why did they build these megalithic structures? I, you know, I I I'm of the opinion that it was to to protect themselves from something whether it was calamity, uh, world catastrophism, um you know, a, a threat like a you know, asteroid threat. There was some reason they were building these these gigantic structures out of these huge stones like the ones in the Andes, you know, which to me those are the most amazing of all because they have been lifted up thousands of feet and put together like jigsaw puzzles and the blocks are just so immense how in the world did they get the blocks up there you know um but obviously they were doing this for some they had motivation i guess is what i'm saying something really motivated people around the world to build huge structures and uh, you know that would last as near as as near as forever as they could imagine you know they wanted something that would be permanent truly permanent and uh they were. They did it because they. They're, they're the things that they built are more permanent than anything we're making today. So, right. Well, anyway, the Great Pyramid doesn't play a role in fallen angels, but it it will in the second book of the series. If I ever have the time to write it, you know, I have to keep. I, Doing things that earn money to keep the internet on. <laughs> well, I uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to the sequel whenever you get it done. Uh, the the, uh, the the first one reminded me an awful lot of uh, you know some of the the theories that uh, that we've heard over the years concerning um, oh you know like uh, uh, what 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 Zachariah Sitchin. Uh, was uh, was writing about, uh, especially when it came to, uh, gosh, I can't. Uh, do, you, do you remember what, Mike? What, yeah, well, I mean the the the, the giant planet that uh, supposedly was uh, in the uh, a, where the asteroid belt is now, Marduk, oh, Nibiru, Marduk. and all that. Well, I right. mean, I'm more on Velikovsky's worlds in collision. I have a problem with Sitchin's take on the um, Sumerian religion and the Anunnaki having uh, made humans from an indigenous ape. 
you, you have to assume first that the translation is correct. Mm-hmm. Second, that the Anunnaki wrote down a true story as well as they understood it. Right. And third, that the Anunnaki told the Sumerians the truth. Mm. Yeah. Well, I have <laughs> problems with it, too, and it's similar to what you're saying. I mean, first of all, why go to the trouble to create a quarrelsome, bothersome subspecies of yourself mixed with, you know, earth life or whatever, and have to teach them, train them, feed them, you know, keep them under control, when you could just, if, if you're that so advanced that you could do that, why don't you just use heavy machinery and robots to do your mining, you know? Um, yeah. Th- there well, are just my, things in the whole story that are not really logical. My Unless feeling there other is reasons. that they, they took a very strong, intelligent race and dumbed them down. If you yeah. look around you, we are not adapted at well at all to life on this planet. Well, well, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you look back in ancient cultures, I dare say that individuals 5,000 years ago, in general, on average, were more intelligent than people are today. They had to be to survive. Five, six, seven, eight thousand years ago, they had to be extremely intelligent. And then they're going around building these megalithic, mathematically precise structures uh, aligned with uh, certain areas of the planet, perfect, you know, uh, synchron- synchronicity and synchrony with with all these different things, and they were not dumb people. They were much more intelligent than the average person today. So, yeah, I think we have dumbed down, and I think it's just been a, a gradual process. But I think it, that that definitely has happened. I mean, how like I've said on here before, how many people, you know, who they think they're intelligent because they have the latest gizmos and technology, but could they actually go out and build an iPhone from scratch? Of course not. You know. They just assume well, that they're smart. The story about developing us to mine gold is, is really ridiculous because, okay, you've got these humans that you made to mine gold. You have to get them shoes, clothing, hard hats, oxygen bottles, mm-hmm. yeah. all kinds of protective gear and tools. And... Even today, we can't do it without dynamite. Yeah, yeah. And, and huge well, machines. Yeah, exactly. We were not designed to mine gold. We can't even live on this planet without some trappings of civilization. Even the most right. uh, primitive native tribes do have technology, shelters. Clothing. You know, put a few naked people out in the woods and see how long they live. Ain't going to happen. Well, and you you look at you look at the the obvious thing. Um, every human on this planet, if they spend too much time outside, would get sunburned to a crackly crunch. Yes, and get you know skin cancer. Yeah. Uh, eye now, failure, everything. Yeah. What kind of species that evolved on this planet would evolve would evolve into that? Well, that doesn't I, make know, sense. I do, I do believe that some of that is explained by the 
the ancient accounts we have of the so-called um, firmament or canopy that was above the regular atmosphere. I think that the Earth once had a watery shell, and that's one of the things that caused the so-called Great Flood. When this thing got disturbed gravitationally and, and it started to fall, fall apart, but and the same gravitational force also caused the waters inside the Earth, the so-called fountains of the deep, to burst forth. But you know. If we had a watery shell, let's say, just a few miles thick above the regular atmosphere, that would keep out almost all harmful solar and cosmic radiation. And so that's why after the flood, you see these accounts of how, whether it's the Sumerian king list or whether it's in, in the Old Testament, the, each successive uh, patriarch, you know, generation of patriarchs, after the flood, the lifespan gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. So you go from having a lifespan of 900 some odd years until you get down to 70 years. And it, it, you can actually see how it, it's by generation. The more exposure, you know, the, the, the human genome has, even cumulatively over time, to uh, the cosmic radiation the shorter the lifespan gets. I, I really believe that that has a large part to do with, with, and, and that would dumb us down too. I mean, because we're not living as long, there could be genetic damage affecting, you know, our brains, things like this. So I, I think it's all interconnected. That's just my theory. So. Oh, that's a pretty good theory. And consider that the Earth had a uniform climate that was exactly tropical or temperate. It was more see, oxygen. That, that's right. And see, both of those would be effects of having a water canopy or firmament, as it was called. Um, they, the, that would create a mild greenhouse effect everywhere. Right. Yeah. And uh, plants and animals and people would all be bigger and more robust. Yes. They would. They definitely would. It would be more oxygen-rich um, because oxygen escapes. And if oxygen is going up and hitting this water canopy, it's not going to escape. So, yeah, it's very interesting to think about. What? Yes, and that's the world of fallen angels. But, of course, in book two, I had a working title. I've forgotten it again. Uh, the Flood Will Come. Yeah, you gotta write, and you gotta write these, the things down so you don't forget about them. This, um, Nibiru of, of Sitchin's work is, to my mind, not a specific planet because it means crossing. It's an adjective. I believe right. that Nibiru refers to any planet that crosses the orbit of another planet that leaves its proper place, as Mars almost certainly did at one time. Hmm. People right. in the ancient world were terrified of Mars. Mm. All those right. ancient gods like Bel, Baal, Marduk were actually Mars. Well, Tessa, it makes me happy to hear that you know you 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 based your work on off of uh, uh, Emanuel Velikovsky, uh, somebody that has you know almost been forgotten, uh, even though a lot of his uh, theories that he wrote about, I mean, you know, they were lambasted in his time, uh, but a lot of the predictions that he made actually ended up coming true. Well, he didn't. 
pull his theories out of thin air, he went to the scientific journals as well as ancient history. And one of his books, um, can't remember the title now, but he was so tired of being uh, put down for relying upon ancient histories because we know they're all myth and legend and superstition. <laughs> One of his books uh, is based solely on scientific papers, and it's about all the catastrophes that have happened on the Earth. Why can't I find the book or remember the title? Ages in Chaos might be it. Uh, yeah, that uh, that could very well be. Eh, maybe. Ages in Chaos may be the one where uh, he wrote about uh, the, uh, like, uh, lo lost time, that there was, you know, like, uh, um, uh, missing time in history or along those lines. And most people are not aware of how many books he wrote. There's, for example, one about Oedipus and Akhenaten. It's called Oedipus and Akhenaten. And he lays out a very good case that the source of the legend of Oedipus, who killed his father and married his mother, really began with Egypt and Akhenaten, who was banished as a child because he was deformed but came back upon the death of his father to take the throne, and he did marry his mother. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> well, in ancient Egypt, even though the pharaoh was a man, he could not be pharaoh unless he was married to a royal woman, a queen. That's right. Yep, that's right. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories nowadays surrounding Akhenaten. Um, so. Yeah. Earth, earth in up, upheaval. That may be the one that you were referring oh, to. That, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, because there's worlds in collision, ages in chaos, earth in upheaval, mankind in amnesia. Uh, when worlds collide. Mm -hmm. Worlds collide. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Oedipus and Agnaton. And yep. he even goes into how King Tut actually had an older brother. And this is in the Oedipus legend that the two sons fought over the throne. That's right, and that's right, yeah. Yep. Apparently, King Tut had a rival, and at first they were taking turns ruling Egypt, but Tut decided not to give the throne back to his brother, and they had a civil war. They don't tell you that in school, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> uh, well, they're they're not going to, since it was written by Velikovsky. Uh, <laughs> First of all, <laughs> there is information from ancient history. He didn't make it up. No, no. Well, I mean, you know, his, uh, he was just, he was so defamed 
by the uh, by other so-called scientists. You yes, know, right it was. from the right from the very beginning. I mean, it was it was absolutely sickening, and it's you know, I mean, you know, we we well, even we, to we, the end of his we, life, they kept doing it. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. They they had they actually had symposiums and everything trying to discredit the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he he lacked the credentials that they would find acceptable. Right. I put it down to specialization. Archaeologists are not allowed to have an opinion on nuclear physics. Historians yeah. are not allowed to have an opinion on dinosaurs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's all about power and control and ego and and don't step on my toes, don't get in my territory. Mm-hmm. You know, who do you think you are? How dare you have a brain? You know, that kind of thing. So, well, I mean, yeah. when uh, when Worlds in Collision was written. Uh, there, there, I can't remember who this was. There was one scientist in particular who, you know, lambasted him and wrote, you know, like critical reviews about it and, and admitted that he hadn't read the book at all. But he did, <laughs> he, he, he knew it was wrong. You know, I guess, I guess he had like this special, you know, psychic powers that he could, he could read the book from a distance and <laughs> knew it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I have a, an entire book of articles um, attacking Velikovsky by scientists. And what gets me is one of them says that his math is all wrong. Well, Velikovsky didn't do any math in his book. <laughs> uh, yep, once again. Yep. You gotta you gotta read the books first in order to, uh, uh, to successfully them. critique them. Yeah, you gotta read the bill to find out what's in it. There you go. Or gotta pass the not bill long to ago, find out what's not in long it. ago, a mathematician proved that you it couldn't achieve heavier than air flight. Right. Another and when one said the Wright brothers achieved that, he said, "Well, you couldn't yeah. possibly carry any passengers." <laughs> well, don't forget that 120 years ago or so, they said that the human body could not withstand any, any, to travel faster than 30 miles per hour. It would, it would, it would just absolutely destroy the human body if you went any faster than 30, 35 miles an hour. Yeah, so, that was about the top speed of a racehorse. Yeah. <laughs> they, they also proved mathematically that you couldn't uh, send a rocket out into space. Right, exactly. He, yeah. he couldn't carry enough fuel. <laughs> uh, well, that's that is why you know nowadays any you know any physicist or scientist who who claims that something is not possible, you know, it's it's impossible to go faster than the speed of light. It's impossible to pass information from say one universe to the other or one dimension to the other. Uh, such and such and such and such. It's just like, yeah, well, that is probably going to be proved wrong. Just the same way that the scientists made those, uh, uh, you know, predictions that you couldn't go faster than 30 miles an hour or that bumblebees can't fly and <laughs> such and such. <laughs> well, the reason why the speed of light is A, a constant and B, a speed limit is because Einstein's theories won't work unless you accept those assumptions. Yeah, that's right. You have to go along with the uh, with the what's the word? 
you, you have to become invested in the idea to some extent. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that is science. I mean, that's how it's worked over, mm-hmm. well, over sure. time. I mean, it, we all agree that this is how it is, and then and somebody new comes along, and they, they are vilified, and then years later they're proven to be right. You know, as, you know we talked about this one here about before, you know, about uh, um, Wegener, who came up with the continental drift theory, who was destroyed. He was destroyed for his continental drift musings because of the way the, the, the continents seemingly fit together. And years later, they basically took his theory and totally renamed it, and they called it plate tectonics, but it's almost identical. Almost identical, yeah. and you know the guy was destroyed. You know, and then and decades later, they, other people take credit for the idea. Right? They they don't want to give credit to someone who isn't going along with the program. Right. At the time, he was his ideas were a radical threat to all the muckety mucks, you know, in their ivory towers. Yeah, there's all kinds of fringe theories that are very interesting. And we should explore them, not dismiss them. Uh, they might right. turn out to be wrong, but they can lead to new knowledge. Well, we mustn't allow that, though, because they'd right. have to change all the textbooks. And, you know, these old guys who wrote the originals are too old to write new ones. <laughs> Too much work. Hmm. Well, I mean, it seems it seems like the human species, uh, the first things out of our mouths always when it comes to something new, uh, something different is no. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just I mean. Gilberto, then my first reaction is wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I was my my first reaction was interesting. That's an interesting idea. Hmm. Have to look, take a closer look at that. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I guess I guess we're not I guess we're not smart enough to realize that uh, you know new and different things are are wrong. <laughs> They're dangerous. They dangerous. Them. Yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good that's a good way to put it, you know. Because well, and I mean, uh, uh, there there are a lot of uh, 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 politics over the years that have ba- been based on that assumption, you know, that anything anything new is dangerous, and you know, so we have to we have to maintain the status quo. Uh huh. Yep. If if not, then the citizens, uh, you know, will uh, will realize that they're getting uh, royally screwed and will uprise. <laughs> Yeah. That reminds me of a cartoon, uh, The Wizard of Id. The king oh, yeah. Is, yeah, the king is standing in his balcony, and his advisor says, the peasants are revolting. And the king <laughs> says, they certainly are. <laughs> uh, I love The Wizard of Id. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Great stuff. I, I used I used to have a collection of gosh practically all of the paperback books you know uh, from the uh, newspaper comic strips that they had at that time you know? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well Tessa, Tessa yeah. I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you I just recently saw um, 
a movie, and I guess, gosh, I guess it was uh, uh, made in 2010. I didn't realize that. Um, but it was just, I, I was really impressed on, on what a good job that they did based on, uh, uh, uh Phil's book, uh, a radio free, uh, Alamif. Oh yeah. I can't say enough good about that. Yeah. I, they, uh, I, they yeah, didn't I saw... rely on car chases and explosions. Mm-mm. They told a good story. Right. And I mean, it says they did such an excellent uh, uh, adaption, you know, from the book. Uh, which I mean, boy, I tell you, it's 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 really hard uh, to find a movie that um, that sticks very closely, you know, to its uh, the original source material. And I was just really impressed on what a good job that they did with that one. Oh yeah, you know they they have to make some changes to make it a visual. Mm-hmm. film is quite visual and you have only a short time to grab your audience and tell the story whereas with a book you know people can spend as much time as they like reading it and thinking about it that's right but it it's actually draws from some of Bill's other works in what they now call the Valis series, but it is primarily Radio Free Albemuth, and it's scary because it's so much like the world we live in today. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that, and, and that's just it. I mean, you know, in... Uh, in, in the book, I mean, you know, Phil C, I mean, he, he did, a, even though I know that he was basing it a lot on what was going on, um, you know, in the United States at that time, but, uh, it, uh, it really seems to be predicting what, uh, what's happening now and what could be happening in the, the, the near future of the United States. Right. I've been uh, looking because, you know, his president was Ferris Fremont. (laughs) Well, actually, at one time, John C. Fremont was governor of California when it first became an American territory. We have a city named after Fremont. Right. People so, seem to think that we stole California from Mexico, but that isn't true. No, it's not true at all. So we we have, I mean, we've talked about this when you were on the show before. Do you think Phil was somehow in tune with somebody or something that was letting him know some of this stuff that it was coming, or giving him a glimpse of what was what was to come? Well, I believe that he was inspired by some sort of spirit and long before the uh, rather spectacular experiences of 1974 you can see it in his writing all the way back to the beginning you have the love for animals the uh, total inability to understand women (laughs) and then you have the idea that somebody somewhere 
has taken away our liberty, and we don't know it. Right. Very interesting. Well, not only not only taken away our liberty, but uh, uh, we we actually encourage it uh, under the idea that we're we're being protected from you exactly know, some, you know some unknown or or known or made up you know enemy you know give uh, give away your rights and your freedoms or else you'll die. Yeah, and it gets down to every detail of our lives. Uh, right, exactly. People, people have been fined and even jailed for growing vegetables in their front yard because that violates the city code. Right, exactly. And you know, it, it, it's we're reaching the point where people just they just take it. They just they don't even put up a, a squabble at all. They just let people let these I just call them forces run all over them. And their rights. They think we need these codes so that our neighbors won't have to look at our messes. If your so, nobody, quit, so nobody will get offended. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend their eyes. You know. Yeah. If your car quits running, there's a limit on how long you can leave it in your own driveway. And you can't work on it unless you can get it out of sight so the neighbors don't have to watch you fix it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy world, isn't it? Oh yeah, well, uh you know, uh my uh, my wife's brother, uh he lived in a community in in Texas. Now, you know, <laughs> of all places Texas, you wouldn't expect this, but the community that he lived in, you were not allowed to have a pickup truck parked in your driveway. It had to it it had to be in a garage or someplace else, but you couldn't park it out in the open in your driveway in this community. That's crazy. You know, according to the homeowners association. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, yeah, and like I said, this this was Texas. I think everybody drives. You know, the uh, uh, baby's first uh, vehicle is a truck in Texas. You know? well, <laughs> Much like I Indiana. Live, there's no homeowners association, and. It- it isn't a city, it's just part of the county, unincorporated. Right. And they have, they have a code that says that large vehicles like motorhomes have to be so many feet off the street because our roads are narrow and fire trucks need to get through. Fire trucks and snow clouds. But the way they were enforcing it, they were actually doubling the distance that the code called for because it was supposed to be so many feet from the center of the street and they were measuring from the edge taking at least 10 feet off of the distance you know adding 10 feet to the distance you had to keep your vehicle off the road right and people don't have big driveways here it's a mountain <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing to keep the roads clear for emergency vehicles. It's quite another to cheat on the distance needed. Well, you know what it is? It's all about control. It's all about making jobs for bureaucracies, creating bureaucracies that provide levels of control. 
so that certain groups can try to have total domination over other groups, including the majority. And uh, oh, I, have, I think people are yeah, fed I up. Yeah, I had to pull the card once. I told them they were being sexist. <laughs> he actually tried to tell me I couldn't have a lawn chair in my front yard. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and I had a wheelbarrow in my garden. Well, of course, they had a wheelbarrow as a non-operational motor vehicle. <laughs> are you are you serious? That's insane. They did these numbers. I had to look up the numbers of the code on the ticket. That's crazy. <laughs> what? A that wheelbarrow is. is a motor vehicle. Non-operational well, motor vehicle. <laughs> the, the motor is the person pushing it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I, I got tired of fighting it, so I wrote to them and said that they were discriminating because I'm a woman. Ooh, I like that. And, and then they left you alone, right? Well, they sent out a, a supervisor and a female officer, and they looked around and said, we don't see a problem here, and they quit bothering me. Oh, well, good, good. Uh, you know, well, at least, you know, at least there are some people in this world that do have the good common sense that uh, that God gave us, you know, unlike the others. There's, there are a few left, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, I, one of the reasons I wanted to come back on is that uh, this actually happened several decades ago, but I saw a creature that I cannot identify, and it was strange. Ooh, whoa. Oh, hey, let's let's hear it. We're all for that, yeah. All ears. Yeah. Well, you know, with all the genetic engineering going on now, uh, it wouldn't be that surprising, but this was 1982. And I couldn't talk to Phil about it. He was already gone. But uh, it was a nice, warm spring day. And I had the windows down on my car because it didn't have air conditioning. And as I was sitting at a red light, this black limousine pulled up beside me. And the rear window... You know, all the windows on the limo were tinted, but the rear window rolled down. So I looked, and there's this beautiful black dog sitting there. I thought it was a black German shepherd. And he was gorgeous, well-groomed, looked very intelligent. So I was looking at him and smiling, and he was smiling the way dogs do. And then just... You know, you can tell when the light's about to turn green because the one on the other road goes to yellow. Right. And just as it was about to turn red, this dog put his arm on the window ledge. And he had a hand. You know, I've heard several... Yeah, I've heard several stories about this. Really, I've yeah. never heard this one before. Well, anyway, my jaw dropped and he smirked. Hmm. He was a black dog, a dog right? Suit. 
it's hard for a dog face to be expressive, but I could tell he was smirking and chuckling. And then, of course, the light turned green and we all had to move, and I never saw it again. Sounds like a skinwalker. So you say hand. It it was a human hand? Well, it was black like coal, but yeah, a human hand with fingernails and everything. And the arm had short fur, short hair, but it was totally black fur. I think this was meant for me specifically, but I don't know whether to take it as a gift or a threat. Hmm. Well, th- there are a lot of anomalous creatures like this that have been seen over the years. These these canines that uh, some of them are called uh, dog men. Um, uh, when they have hands like that, uh, the, uh, a Native American would have called it a skim walker, particularly southwestern Native American. But in you know British Isles lore, European lore, there were these black dogs, and black dogs can have human characteristics. These spiritual uh, beings are sort of shapeshifters. They are usually portents of something, and they basically... I was thinking that it might be a dog-faced ape. Well, they can have human characteristics. I've searched searched, um, the Internet and books in the library. There's no ape with a face like that. No. Hmm. The closest thing would be some sort of baboon, mandrel or something. Um, No. no, you would, you would know pointy that. Toes. They don't have that pointy nose. Yeah. They, you know, they, their their faces tend to be round or flat. Right. What uh, what kind of dog would you say that it was? I mean, species wise, you know, like a Rottweiler at the, or. At the time, I thought it was a black German Shepherd. Looking back, it could have been a chow, but I, I'm still thinking German Shepherd, but totally black. No, this was in this was in California. Yeah, out down in the city of Orange. You probably yeah. need to talk yeah. to Linda Godfrey about this sighting. I think. Oh yeah, she'd love to hear this one. Yeah. Well, you'll have to put us in touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will. After the show, I'll put you in touch with her. So now was uh, uh, what was the dog? Was it in the in the, the the back of the car, like it was being driven around? Yeah. Hmm. At, you know, at the time, I thought, well, the, whoever is riding in this limo has a really cool dog. But I'm beginning to think that the dog owns a limo. <laughs> yeah, that's very well, very strange. Yeah, it could very well be. Though. I I really. Th- We'll put you in touch with Linda Godfrey. Um, I'll, I'll put you guys together in a group chat on Facebook. How's that sound? Yeah, she's she's like an authority on, on dog men and and uh, things of this nature, the Beast of Bray Road, uh, werewolf type sightings, things like that. Yeah, but you know, yeah. Well, you know that it reminds me of uh, a, a story that happened around the uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Where the, uh, uh, like a sheriff and his deputy were out, uh, uh, patrolling one evening and they saw a couple of guys, um, I think the guys were like, uh, uh, leaning up against a tree smoking cigarettes. They were wearing like long, uh, uh, coats and when they pulled up and shined their flashlights on them, these guys were act, had like dog heads. 
and uh, huh. black dog heads and smoking cigarettes, yeah. and yeah. Uh, they uh, the uh, and then the and then they just uh, they, then they just vanished. But the cigarettes remained when they when they went and looked. The cigarettes uh, the cigarette butts were still there. Uh, See, they could the, have gotten uh, DNA. From, they, they they could have gotten DNA from those cigarette butts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean that's uh that's that's a, that's a great that's a great story Tessa. I mean I'm glad you told us that. Yeah, yeah it's pretty awesome. I'm yeah, it is. Tired of wondering and searching. And I I've looked at pictures of every kind of ape and monkey you can imagine because of course they have hands. But the hair was not ape-like. It was like a dog, and the hands had no fur at all. And this thing was far too intelligent to be a dog. Hmm. You could you could tell by the way it looked at you. Oh, the eyes especially. But hmm. dogs' faces, you know, they're expressive somewhat, but... Not that much. This one uh, was quite expressive. Hmm. Of course, now some people, you know, would dismiss what you saw by saying, "Oh, well, you know, it, it was probably, you know, like somebody made up to uh, and and going to a movie set." <laughs> I doubt it, but well. <laughs> you know, well, I started to say, I mean, I I, I have heard. Debunkers make some of the most outlandish, you know, uh, explanations, you know, for, oh, for things like that. I to say that uh, you didn't really know what was happening in the other room. You just uh, psychically connected to someone who was there. Um, excuse me, psychic? Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't remote view something, but but you can be psychic. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, uh, whatever, whatever uh, uh, debunking explanation works at the time. We're going to go and grasp at it. <laughs> yeah, but in the next yeah. breath, they'll tell you that there's no psychic powers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Only when it serves our purpose. <laughs> Only if you're working for the for the government. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, uh, Mike and Tessa, let's. Uh, we need to take a little bit of a, a break here. So why don't we go ahead and do that now? And uh, when we come back, uh, uh, we'll have about a, a half hour left uh, in the show here. But uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and go to our break now. And uh, uh, I'm Tim Swartz. You're listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Tonight, our guest is Tessa Dick, and we will continue our conversation in just a few minutes, so please stay tuned. It is about the implementation of the Mark of the Beast. I spoke to you about that, I think, two weeks ago. We addressed Revelation chapter 13, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands, or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, say he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. 
There is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is six hundred three score and six. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. (laughs) But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm Mike Mott, here with Tim Schwartz and our very special guest, Tessa Dick. And it is June 15th now, even where I am, it's June 15th. I don't know about where Tessa is, it's probably getting there though. Tessa, um, when we left, we were talking about a number of interesting things. And uh, I did send the message to you and Linda Godfrey uh, together on Facebook so you guys can get together and talk about your strange humanoid dogman in a limo deal. So, very interesting. I think she'll find that of great interest. And, you know, I have to wonder, talking about that, if, if this is, like, think of the conspiracy theories that could be uh, blown blown up around this. You know, do, do shape-shifting dogmen ride around in limos because they actually rule the world? You know, things like that. So, <laughs> Oh, I could... Oh, I could, I could see people saying that, especially, you know, if it, oh, since sure. it was in the back of a limo. The back of know. a limo. Yeah, I mean, you, that, that falls right into the whole, almost the, the David Icke type of uh, stuff. Or you even know, the, va- yeah, the vampire type stuff too, you know, where, you mm-hmm. know, some instead of vampires, it's some sort of werewolf type deal. Very interesting. Well, I, I don't buy into David Icke's uh, reptilian thing with the eyes. Uh, but I'm open to the idea of sentient reptilian humanoids. Right. Look at that old TV series. It was actually done twice. V? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know when when some aliens come along and promise to feed and clothe you and cure all your diseases? Yeah. That's when you know that you're cattle. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, that's that's what that's what uh that's what farmers uh here do. Yeah. Take yeah, care all of their cattle. You cat- have to do is take a stroll into the barn. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> Come and visit the abattoir. Yeah, exactly. To serve man. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Which again, you know, goes back to the Anunnaki thing. Let's say somebody could prove that there was some sort of manipulation. I mean, how many times have people said that we're property? You know, uh, uh, you know, Charles Fort said it. John Keel said it. Uh, I might even have alluded to it a few times myself. Somebody or something does think that we are property, and uh, they may have all kinds of reasons that they see things this way. Well, I think we're stolen property. If they, if some aliens come along and claim that they own us because they changed our DNA, and they have a patent on it, they're not mm. owners. They're vandals. They damaged us. That's right. They would be they would be exploiters. Maybe so. they're Monsanto. Mm. <laughs> Intergalactic Monsanto. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no, I you know I think I think her idea though that uh, that possibly were we could be transplants that we were brought here from someplace else, you know for. Whatever for whatever reason that that our actual though history was not on planet Earth. I mean, I I I think that's that's intriguing. Yeah, I really do. Well, uh, in my book, the uh, 
refugees from the war meet Adam and Eve. But I'm not totally convinced that the Garden of Eden was on this planet. More than once, the uh, Old Testament talks about God making a new heavens and a new earth, and that's repeated in John's Revelation. Yes, it was. And also, if you go back to the Old Testament, to the seven days of creation, those seven days actually can be seen as seven epochs of time. The word yom can be used as an indeterminate age, not just as a day. And then before that, it says that the earth was without form and void, but the actual term used is tohu wabohu, which in Hebrew means it had been laid waste and it was re- it was awaiting uh, something new. So it's the the intimation there is that there was something before that was destroyed. It was laid waste. Uh, it was in a state of disarray or disrepair. That's what tohu wabohu actually means. So uh, devastated and uninhabited. Exactly, exactly. Or or just you know, not not a not a place fit for habitation. So yeah. So you know, a lot of people. Never hear that. They never learn that. But that's basically what their their Bibles actually say hmm. in the original. So, right. No, Mike. Yeah. It was it was seven days, seven twenty four hour days. Come on, six, actually, six, six days. Six days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Six days, and on the seventh, he rested. So, yeah. yeah. So people work for six days and rest on the seventh. Did they work? All 24 hours of every one of those six days? Well, if you watch, if you even look at it, you'll see that if you read the the six days of creation, that they more or less follow sort of an evolutionary sequence of events. You know, it starts out with the water, and then it moves to the creepy crawly things and the plants and stuff, and then it moves to higher forms, and and then it ultimately culminates with human beings. So, you know. It's interesting. There's plenty of evidence that the word for day actually means a period of time. Yes, yes and it does. How could we have a 24-hour day right. without the sun and moon? They weren't created yep. on the first day. Right. And, and see, like I said, the, the word Yom means day, like Yom Kippur, you know, Day of Atonement. But the Yom, yes. yom also means any a period of time that is meaningful. For instance, the day right. of the Lord, the day of the Lord, okay, which is usually a time in the, in, in the Bible which means a, a time of God's wrath. It's not just one day, okay? Um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a tumultuous period of time. And, and Yom can mean that. It can mean an indeterminate, even up to like an epoch or something. And then, of course, like I said, Tohu Wabohu is very specific. It's basically, basically says this, the, the, for the world was, was laid waste and, and void and without form because of something that had happened. That's what it means. It was in disrepair. And, you know, people aren't taught that because we want the simplified version of everything. We have to keep things dumbed down, you know. We don't want people asking too many questions. That's why we have to take the book of Enoch and, and, and several other books out of the Bible after three or four hundred years because, you know, people are asking too many questions about all this angel sex stuff. We, we can't be talking about that. <laughs> we got to get rid of those books. You know, so. Right. Typing with one hand can be hazardous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Isaiah. 
chapter 45, he talks about Tohu and Bohu. Yep. Yeah, he, he even and, talks about the time before that was destroyed, doesn't he? Um, well, I was hoping to find the King James, but... But also in Ezekiel, he talks he, about um, the same thing. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he has created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. And there's yep. the in vain is your tohu and your inhabited. Well, is the opposite of Bohu. Right, exactly. And if you read in uh, the book of Ezekiel, he talks about uh, the, a time that was before with the people of old time who were destroyed. And those would have been, you know, people from another time here on this earth, probably. You know, a previous age it was that was destroyed. So, very interesting I stuff. I think it's... Jeremiah, who saw cities and right. no man. Right. It was Jeremiah. Yeah, he yeah. talked about a time that the, the, the earth was shaken and the cities were destroyed, and he, he says that there was no man. So, who, if there were no men, who built the cities? Hmm. Right. Jeremiah yeah. chapter 4. Love the internet. <laughs> but you know the thing. The thing, <laughs> the thing about it is that these are these are all things that are in there, but they aren't really taught in churches. You know, the whole uh, the whole book is the whole uh, Judeo Christian series of writings are, are basically about genetic warfare between two groups: uh, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And it's throughout the entire. It's from the very beginning, the first book, and it goes all the way through to the very end. But that's not something that people talk about in church. They talk about other things. You know, they, they, they have very set things that they have decided are worthy of, of discussion and all these other things like who the Rephaim were or, or you know, all, all these various things that are in there. They don't want to talk about that because that makes people think too much. And it asks questions that honestly most preachers and pastors and priests are not equipped to answer because mm-hmm. they don't know. And so they would rather not deal with it. They give you a few verses out of context, and then they ask for money. Yeah, well, there you go. You got it. That's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, Mike, I think uh, uh, you said that they're not equipped, you know, to answer these questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that does have an awful lot to do with it. That I mean, you know, if you would address some of these things, they, they would just kind of look at you in that, you know, that same way that that your dog looks at you when you make a funny noise. You know? Yeah, I've actually seen that happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the thing, the thing is, no, very well, but they're afraid of losing their congregation if they talk well, about it. They're not doing their congregation any, any any favors by being this way because you know um you know in the new testament he talks about you know do you want to stay on milk forever or do you want meat you know mm-hmm. as a christian if you become a christian oh yeah you can stay a happy little bumbling ignoramus and still be a christian but do you want to get into right. the real stuff do you want to really learn some things and experience some real stuff then you have to take a step beyond you know, those simplistic things. You know, it's like when I taught one time and I had 
a bunch of kids who became absolutely outraged. I, I showed them a, a, a video uh, from the History Channel who really discovered America, and it was showing you know the different the evidence for diffusionism and different people that had come here in the past, and and it went all the way back to the Salutrians, you know, from from uh, Western Europe, who probably followed the ice pack across the North Atlantic and and left the traces of the Clovis culture on the eastern seaboard. And I had a kid raise his hand. And he, they kept interrupting the show anyway because it was absolutely just blowing their minds. And one of these kids raises his hand and he says, "Mr. Mott," he says, uh, uh, "This man just said that." That people were visiting the the America twenty thousand years ago. I said, "Yeah, that's right." And he says, "But that's a lie. That can't be true." My preacher said that the Earth is only six thousand years old. So how could somebody visit America twenty thousand years ago? And I said, "Well, I said because they did." <laughs> and they all kind of went gasp, you know. And then this kid says, "He says, yeah, uh, yeah he says something to me like, uh, uh, well, how old do you think the?'" The Earth is Mr. Mott. I said, well, you know, it's four, about 4 billion, 4.5 billion years old, give or take a billion. And that was it, man. After that, it was, uh, it was like working with a bunch of outraged Islamic fanatics. It was, uh, you know, cause that's the nature of this, yeah. this particular thing. Yeah. Well, I think five you know, or four billion years, but Bishop Usher didn't do us any Favors with his faulty chronology. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, for that's geological absurd. reasons, it can't be, it can't have had life that long ago, that's for certain, and it couldn't have been a planet as we know it now. No. And see, that's the, the conflict that they come in, in, that's what they don't understand. Okay, there is evidence. I mean, overwhelming evidence that the Earth is of a vast antiquity, okay? It's in the geology, it's in the fossil record, and just numerous other processes and and things that have been left behind that can only be there, and the evidence is there that they were created over vast spans of time. So what these people are basically doing when they say the Earth is only 6,000 years old is they're saying, A, their God is a liar, because he's put all these things in evidence that aren't really true. And he's just playing games with us and trying to fool us and testing our faith. That's what they like to say. But that would make yeah. – if he created things that were not true, and see, God, by their own definition of, of so-called Christians, God cannot be a liar. He cannot be a liar. So obviously the earth is very, very old. Second thing that they'll say is, well, maybe the devil created those things to trick us. Okay, that's giving the devil godlike powers, which is another thing. Well, that goes that's what the, the devil wants. But, yes, but he didn't um, have yeah. remember, as I like to quote, "Behold, I am making a new heavens and a new earth." Yeah. Human well, life, as near as I can figure it, human life. As we know it, it could be anywhere up to 100,000 years old. These, um, the ones they find that are older are not Homo sapiens and might not be our ancestors anyway. Uh, I don't believe we've evolved, but we're certainly devolving. The thing is, much of their evidence comes from uh, radioactive dating methods, which can be shown to be faulty. 
and the geologic evidence of the layers can be explained by a massive flood that laid down layer after layer of sediment as the well, water. But only some of it can. Only some of it can. Not all of it. And and the fossils. Well, you know, to say that those fossils are all the result of a flood is just absurd. You know what I mean? I mean, well, yeah, there were there were floods that laid down layers. When you find the herbivores and carnivores all jumbled together in and near yeah. a cave sure. entrance, you know that they didn't actually live there. They were right. fleeing from something. Yeah. Well, there have been catastrophes and, and cataclysms on the planet, you know, and there were times Absolutely. when things were destroyed and wiped out. But that doesn't negate the fact that this planet is very, very old. And, you know... Um, I'm not one of these people that believes, you know, the the moon was captured by the earth or the moon uh, wandered in and got caught or, you know, I think we pretty much know now beyond any doubt that the earth was struck by an object which knocked off huge chunks of stuff which eventually eventually coalesced and formed our moon. I am in, well, I'm not necessarily. I think it was well, part. Well, I don't because I think it may have been there for a long time, but maybe somebody renovated it. But when you look at the tidal forces that are evidenced even in your pulse, even in uh, the tidal forces in your blood, um, which is almost identical in some ways to, to seawater, these these tides as they are laid out in their, their cycles, they, they are based on a lunar uh, influence. And so that moon has been there for a very long time. And yet the ancient Greeks have a legend that the people of the Peloponnesian Peninsula were born before the moon. So where'd they come they from? They a time when there was no moon. So where did they come from? Did that, does that mean they came from here? Probably. <laughs> so there's... Pretty good evidence that the flood might have been caused by uh, the parking of the moon where it is now. No matter how it was formed, it was not in its current position. Now that's that's also possible. Um, I guess it's you've seen. Way, it, it could it be this close naturally? It's very very unlikely, isn't it? And when you look yeah, at the yeah, mathematical it's, precision. It's really, it isn't really our moon, it's our twin planet. It is. And when you look at the precision of something like, in its cycles, you know, it always presents the same face toward us, but it actually rotates. That's a very uh, unique effect. On top of that, you look at the way that it will, okay, during a, during a full solar eclipse, it will fit, the disk of the moon will fit perfectly as viewed from Earth over the disk of the sun. The odds of that happening by chance. Not only that, the Earth, just, uh, when the moon is in the Earth's shadow, the moon is covered completely. Yeah, but but I'm talking about I'm talking about a perfect fit, a perfect circular yeah, fit. Yeah, like perfect you know, the, fit the, the, the other way too. See, and, and what are the chances of this? Astro- it's beyond astronomical. Okay, um, so it, it is interesting, and I guess you've heard about. Uh, um, the experiments NASA did with seismic, trying to do seismic experiments on the moon. And when they yeah. sent up their things to impact the moon, the moon rang like a bell, they said, for 24 hours, which would indicate yeah. that it is hollow. 
Right. They said it reverberated like it was hollow for 24 hours. So that's very strange. Well, we have vast cave systems, but I don't think they extend below the crust. Well, they don't go much deeper than the crust. There might be a few that go into the mantle, but not many, Um, except for the Moho. The Moho is worldwide, which is at the crust mantle boundary. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like the earth wouldn't ring like a bell if it was struck. You know what I mean? No, it wouldn't. Well, it's... it's, Probably Mars. I wouldn't... Actually, it isn't possible for two planets to actually physically collide. There's a, a boundary zone. I totally blank on what they call it, but right. Well, they they would, in coming close, create rip, rip, vast electrical right. storms, and material could be pulled off one right. or both of the planets. Right, material could be ripped from one, and that's what they, the th- current theory is about the Pacific Basin. That it that the material from the Pacific Basin. Probably for a long time were rings around the planet, and then eventually they were coalesced into the moon. That's the current theory. But but they did uh, comparisons between the material in moon rocks, which we talked about before you came on the show. It was pretty interestingly enough, and the 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 rocks deep in the crust at that level that would have been ripped up, and they do correspond to each other. Hmm. It's just very interesting. It is. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> well, that's, uh, uh, you know, you talked about how um, planets couldn't collide. Uh, that was something that um, Velikovsky had written about on when uh, uh, the uh, ancient times when Mars had been kicked out of its orbit and had actually approached the Earth uh, not just once but several times. And at one point it came so close that there was like an electrical a massive electrical discharge between the Earth and Mars uh, that that sent it, you know, like back reeling away. But this right. happened at a time when there were people on the planet and on the, on the planet on the planet Earth, yeah, and recorded this. Yeah. Well, you know, Velikovsky's theories do have some credence in that. For instance, you know, Venus rotates in the opposite direction that it should. It's the only planet that does, um, and this could be happened by some sort of major. Uh, upset like it got captured in that orbit or whatever. The only problem I have with Velikovsky, and this is a problem that that's ex- that exists, Bode's theorem or Bode's law, which lays out the way that that we actually have our solar system actually is formed in, a, in in accordance with his mathematical ideas of how it would form and where the planets would be located. We have planets in each of those orbits. It, of course, except for the asteroid belt, where obviously something was destroyed, but there should have been one there. So when you look at Velikovsky's stuff, you have to say, how can a planet like, say, Mars move out of its orbit and then go back to the correct orbit again? I mean, what, what's the likelihood of that? I, I, I have a problem thinking that that's going to happen because once a planet leaves its orbit, it's pretty much doomed probably. Um, it's not going to go right back into its own same stable orbit again. But at the same time, maybe what Velikovsky thought was Mars – which came through, careening through the, the solar system and, and, and struck Venus, 
what came by the Earth and struck Venus. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it wasn't Mars. You know, I mean, well, just first, because you're assuming that Mars was a planet. All well, that's the what evidence suggests that it was a moon yeah. of the destroyed planet, and um, it totally could have settled down into a brand new orbit where it is today, especially if ancient people had some rockets to give it a little nudge and help it along. Well, keep in mind that if it came through to the inner solar system and it approached closer to the sun, and even if it struck Venus, the likelihood of it going back out beyond the Earth's orbit to establish a new orbit is pretty unlikely. But at the same time, you know, of course, we don't know. We weren't there. Um, but well, the position, we, position of Mars now corresponds to, to Bode's theorem. It's in correspondence to the, the idea of the solar system, you know, coming about as a, an accretion disk of material and then breaking up into different re, uh, concentric rings. So, um, I don't know. You know, with it, we, we really don't know, but I think Velikovsky was definitely onto something. Once again, tell us. Um, the, they tell us that Venus and Mercury were gravitationally bonded. In other words, Mercury was a moon of Venus. But Venus, but Mars came close and Venus fell in love with Mars because after all, Mercury was ugly. <laughs> and, and Mars stole her away from Mercury. And they danced around for a while until they right. were also separated because it was just a fling. <laughs> a planetary so they fling. Them, <laughs> they call them gods, but uh, that's pretty much the story they tell. And they right. were much closer to the events than we are. That's true. That's true. And I don't buy this oral tradition uh, that that the experts throw at us. Oh, they got it wrong because you know you've played telephone and you can't send a message around to six people and have it come out the same at the other end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moses knew how to read and write. He was raised in the Pharaoh's court for crying out loud. He didn't just tell his story; he wrote it. Right. And, gee, if they taught him to read and write, how long did the Egyptians know how to read and write before the Exodus? Oh, yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt. Human beings and human civilization have been around for a very, very long time. You know, when you go all the way back, even to 12,000 years, you'll find that, that that now we're finding more and more evidence of advanced societies being around at that time. So, obviously, yeah. uh, we've been around a long time. And you know what they would find of our civilization a thousand years from now? Not much. Not much. Even those plastic shopping bags will have uh, fallen apart. Yep. Yeah, all our great structures will be gone. Mm. <laughs> without, without somebody to constantly, you know, repair them and stuff, so... That's right, that's right. <laughs> I bet they'll find the Great Pyramid and wonder who built it. Probably. Yep. 
Well, that's that's an interesting thought because I mean, you know, we do attribute the uh, the Great Pyramid to uh, to the Egyptians. Well, maybe it was left over from some other time, and the Egyptians well, just like, yeah, we built it. Uh, yeah, sure, we did. Yeah. Well, no, we did. The, 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 the Egyptians claimed that they were the, the one of the last colonies of Atlantis, and that you know that mm-hmm. everything in their culture, including pyramids and the rest, came from Atlantis. So they actually said that. So. You know, that mm-hmm. maybe, you know, who knows? Well, if you actually read Plato, when Atlantis sank, that was only the capital city. The continent did not sink, just the city which they had built on an island. Right. Islands rise and sink all the time. Yep. Yep, that's right. Exactly, and there, you know, there's plenty of evidence that it, that you know, on both sides of the Atlantic, that there was something to this legend, um, whether it's culturally or, or linguistically. There's there's evidence to support it. So, right, and uh, so you know, and Atlantis was not really a fun place. It it was great if you were one of the half god sons of Neptune. Right, exactly. If, if you were a human, it was just like um, Nazi Germany or Orwell's 1984. Mm. They bred people to be miners or carpenters or whatever they needed. And European monarchies tried to recreate this in the Middle Ages with their serfdom. Right. Well, don't forget that that uh, uh, the the whole concept of Atlantis was a big part of uh, Third Reich. They wanted to recreate that so-called Golden Age. They actually believed that the Supermen, the the original Aryans, came from from Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Well, to some extent, we can blame Madame Blavatsky. Oh yeah. But we can, but we can also look deeper into antiquity and see, like you said, there was an ancient time when there were tyrants on this planet now before the flood, you know, uh, the so-called Nephilim, the, the god kings, the ones that were part fallen angel and part human that thought they were gods and claimed to be the sons of gods and ruled over mere mortals, you know, treated us like cattle. So, well, they that, still that, believe that, whether exactly. it's true or not, they believe yeah. it. Well, don't, don't forget, this ties in what we talked about earlier, about there are seem to be forces out there that see the human race as property. And I have to and wonder if it's wrong. not the same not the same forces that have always been doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Mike and Tessa, unfortunately, we are just about out of time here, and uh, so we need to start wrapping up. Uh, so, Tessa, uh, why don't you uh, tell our audience where they can uh, find your books uh, uh, and, and, and get more information about you online? Well, all my books can be found on Amazon. And my website is tessadick.com. I also have a couple books under my maiden name, L.A. Husby. Um, 
Bad Moon Rising is a tale of a werewolf. And, oh, In the Woodpile is a fictionalized history of my ancestors, beginning with a black African slave in Virginia in the early 1800s. Uh, I'm actually descended from a black African slave. You wouldn't know it to look at me. I've always said we're all related to each other here, whether we know it or not. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Tessa, thank you very much for uh, for being with us today, and uh, stay on the line here after uh, uh, after we after we go to our, uh, our our bumper music, so we can talk to you for a few minutes afterwards. So I want to sure. uh, thank I want to thank everybody out there for uh, uh, listening. Tessa, again, thank you for being with us. Uh, Mike, uh, we'll uh, we'll see you again this time next week. All right, man. Sounds good. All right. We enjoyed so, it, Tessa. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So this is Tim Swartz. You've been listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Thank you very much for being with us, and we'll see you again real soon. <laughs>